Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, January 21st. Not a whole lot happening across the ACC football landscape, but uh, basically the new version of free agency has hit college football, so we'll talk a little bit about that. A lot of ACC basketball news to get to, and uh, a couple of news and notes around the ACC, uh, most particular, in particular, the, uh, the fast food that was served up on the silver platter at the White House, so we will uh, dive into that a little bit. But uh, Tim, what's going on? Not a whole lot, but uh, if you're looking for my opinion on McNuggets, I'm happy to share them with you. This is something I'm very passionate about. Um, but you know, here at the homestead, we have uh, my wife out of town for the weekend, so that has led to some free time for me to do what I want to do. And it turns out, what I want to do is nothing: uh, just sit on the couch, watch Star Wars movie, and wait for the NFL playoffs. There you go. I mean, that sounds that sounds pretty good. We uh, out here in Chicago, it's a balmy 13 degrees, um, wind chill of three degrees. Snowed seven inches this weekend. So lovely. Yeah, I saw some of those pictures. Yeah. It looked pretty at the very yes. least. Yeah. So uh, you were in Boston recently, uh, I was. and complaining about the cold. So <laughs> how uh, how cold was it? it? It wasn't necessarily terribly cold. It was maybe 30 degrees, which for you is the reason I say terribly cold around here. That's horrible. Um, but it's really the wind and the cold coming off the water there just penetrates any sort of jacket or outerwear that you have on. And it's it's a crazy level of, of cold that I'm definitely not used to. Yeah, we have a similar thing here with Lake Michigan, which is basically the size of an ocean. Um, right. Never seen it, it'll blow your mind. But uh, yeah, the uh, the wind in the city you know, sometimes you're walking through downtown and you will cross the sidewalk and come across essentially a wind tunnel and uh, it'll take your breath away in a bad way, Oof. not in a good way. But yeah, gotta love wintertime, especially in Chicago, but uh, let's let's go ahead and get started. Let's just jump into Clemson and head into the White House. So <laughs> I know the government is shut down, has been shut down for quite a while now, and you know, we're not going to talk politics here, but... If you go to the White House, I feel like you expect something a little different than fast food. But the way that, uh, you know, the president put it is he felt like they would all like that. So he went out and bought a bunch of Big Macs and filet fish maybe some Wendy's, um, you know, McNuggets. I don't know what else he had on there. But it got me thinking, Tim. Top three fast food restaurants for yourself. Go. Okay, so... Top three fast food restaurants is going to be difficult. I think number one is the layup, and that's Chick-fil-A. Uh, I don't know what kind of devil magic they use at Chick-fil-A to get those employees so damn happy to see you every time you pull up. Um, but they love their jobs, and they love making chicken, and it shows in everything that they do. Um, I think that's an undefeated chicken sandwich. I don't think that's really arguable. I think I'm stating facts here. Um, but Chick-fil-A definitely has the number one spot. Um you know, number two for me would be Bojangles. Being a, a North Carolina boy, I, I'm, I was raised on Bojangles. Uh, the Cajun Filet Biscuit is near and dear to my heart um, and is one of my absolute favorite things. I had one this morning, actually, since I am home alone. I went out. Got to get my, a uh, one and a half a Right. Bojangles. Absolutely. And, you know, tailgating, uh, you're hungover in the morning, you want a biscuit. Bojangles serves many purposes in the lives of uh, North Carolinians down here in, in the region. So that's number two. 
Um, number three is hard. Are we going fast casual, or does it have to be completely and strictly fast food? You know, I didn't see any fast casual options, so I'd say okay. let's stick to straight up fast food. Easy decision then, Taco Bell. You know, and the more I think about it, Taco Bell and Bojangles are one, and they're two and three, two A and two B. There's no way I could separate the two. Taco Bell, fourth meal. Um, there's not a whole lot you can say about Taco Bell that hasn't already been said, although I am not here for any sort of Taco Bell slander. Taco Bell's delicious. Taco Bell also is very easy on the digestive system. I think that's a complete fabrication um, when people start to get into, oh, my, you know, there you go, eating Taco Bell again. You better be worried about, you know, tomorrow or whatever they say every time you say you're going to get Taco Bell. Not a fan of that. Never experienced it. Taco Bell easily uh, number 2B in my uh, top three power rankings. You know, I, I love Taco Bell as well. It's not on my top three, and the reason is just because I rarely go there anymore. Sure. Um, but I went there a few months ago for the first time since, I want to say, my days in Blacksburg. It had been <laughs> a wow. long time, uh, and I was not disappointed. So for me, uh, my number one is, uh, is Whataburger. I don't know hmm. if you've ever been to a Whataburger. Nope. Uh, it's down in the south central part of the United States. Uh, they uh, they have great burgers, obviously, but their honey butter chicken sandwich biscuit in the morning. Let me tell you, Tim, game changer. <laughs> that sounds game really changer. good. That sounds really good. So that's number one for me. Number two, raising canes. Oh gosh, how did I forget canes? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's super clutch, you know, you got a nice little chicken tender dinner, you know, you get oh, the yeah. chicken tender box, you get oh, four yeah. chicken tenders, they're, you know, they're pretty good size, they're very juicy, um, and then not, three, I may, not to interrupt you, but I may yeah, go as far as to say that Cane's may be my favorite chicken tender I've ever had, now that I think about it. You don't have, as far as fast food goes, there's there's not a competition, I mean, it's no. it's just... no. Good call. Yeah. Good call. So for me, you got Raisin Cane's. And then, uh, you know, the third one, I'd say if I'm talking fast food and I can't really leave this out, it's got to be in and out Burger. Never had it. Come on, Tim. I'm, I, I've never had it. I've always wanted it. I mean, the pictures I see of those hamburgers slathered in some kind of burger sauce with cheese dripping off the side certainly makes me want to eat it i've just never had the chance so here's here's the deal people always ask me what do you like more in and out burger water burger okay now in and out used to be just a california thing that's not the case anymore so i right. think i'm you know i'm one of those guys that have been to california once and you know ate a water <laughs> or uh, in and out burger one time no i'm sure. not that kind of guy they used to they're, they're in dallas now they're all over kind of the central part of the u.s um yeah, I mean they've got really good burgers. So if I'm, if I want a good fast food burger, and I uh, don't want it to be McDonald's, I'm going to In and Out, going to Whataburger, one of those two. Uh, but yeah, you got to uh, you got to try it. They're in Dallas. You were just recently in Dallas, so uh, I know. And I actually looked up the In and Out and never got time because I was stuck to the conference schedule. Um, almost ate at Whataburger in the airport though, and now I'm kind of regretting. They had a green chili some kind of green chili burger that really caught my eye and I wanted to try it, but um, didn't do it because I was scared. You know, I was like, hey, what if I eat a greasy fast food burger and then I'm up in a plane for three and a half hours? Um, 
one of my biggest fears is having to actually use the restroom on an airplane. And I hope to never have to uh, be in a situation where that's necessary. Uh, just so we're all clear, uh, Tim, not a huge fan of flying. Not at all. Uh, actually canceled coming to my wedding because he was too afraid to get on a plane. Yep. Just wanted to throw that out there. Huge regret. Um, but I've made <laughs> two flights this year. Uh, which is huge for me. So I'm thinking maybe while well, I say this year, year over year, I should, should say, um, over the past 12 months. So that, that's a big deal for me. And I have had mild anxiety compared to what I usually deal with thanks to some medication. So hopefully I continue to be able to fly and experience things like chowder in Boston, staying on brand. Mm, there you um, go. And another, I guess another side note I want to ask you. So... <clears throat> For us, regionally speaking, before you went and became a world traveler as far as places you've lived since college, you say Whataburger and In-N-Out. As far as their burgers go, are they in the realm of a Five Guys burger? No, see, I mean, I, I say Five Guys is fast casual, but okay, I'd go there over Five Guys. Okay, see, that's what I was getting at. Cause I, I, yeah. think fi- I think Five Guys is fast casual, too. But to yeah. me, when I think fancy delicious burgers i think five guys but you know if you're saying in and out may get the nod over five guys and and whataburger get the nod over five guys that just makes me want to go there more and i'm not a huge you know five guys or you know five guys fan i don't you know i'm not a fanboy of of that restaurant but they do have quality burgers so yeah i mean it's a dream of mine uh to have whataburger expand outside of that area of the country um but like even bojangles those aren't in chicago they're not in dallas it's really just kind of a east coast thing yeah Um, yeah well i mean they started expanding into virginia you know that wasn't when we were younger in high school you hardly saw them in virginia and now um they're not common in virginia yet but they're popping up all over um yeah so so, you know unfortunately we didn't see any of those items on the uh on the menu at the white house but uh (laughs) you know maybe uh maybe when the president listens to this he can uh make that change for next year Justin, what does it say about me that when I saw that, I said, you know what, that would be my one of my dream meals would be fast food in the White House. I mean, he had nugget sauces laid out in silver on the table. I, you know, my, I don't know. I don't know. I, look, issue, I realize I'm in the minority here. I do. My only that. issue with it is I don't think I would have gotten the fish. Oh, no. Hell no. You know, because most likely that stuff had been sitting there for a little bit. So now I'm eating like a cold filet of fish from McDonald's. Ugh. I'm not sure how that probably ended up for a lot of guys, but that. The, fi- the filet of fish me baffles a, me. Like, yeah. I've never seen anyone actually order it. And anytime I've been in a McDonald's, I've never seen it being eaten. Confuses um, me. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of those menu items where it's like, are they making money on this? But. <laughs> It's okay. still there, so I guess they are. Yeah, well, you, when you think fish, you think I want you know a sandwich with a fish patty on it with a slice of American cheese. Yeah, when, God, when you say it that way, that just sounds <laughs> it's disgusting. It's terrible. It's appalling. All right, so let's jump into some football talk here. Uh, not much going on as far as uh, coaching, but one big move with NC State. Tony Gibson, what are your thoughts? I think it's a, I think it's a good hire. I mean, Tony Gibson, when he was with WVU, had a very uh, Bud Foster esque uh, mannerism on the sideline, which I'd like in my defensive coordinators. I think it it goes a long way to have your defensive coordinator on the sideline, getting your boys fired up and ready to play, keeping their heads in the game, 
it's one of my favorite things about Bud, and I think Gibson is, is kind of in that same mold. It's going to be interesting to see how his uh, marriage to the three three five works out at NC State, who currently runs a four two five under Dave Huxtable. I don't know if that's going to lead to a situation where you see multiple fronts being used by NC State moving forward. Um, you know, it makes sense to me to try and get another linebacker in there as opposed to plugging your line with another defensive tackle, especially considering NC State's pass defense has been very sketchy the last two years. So he's going to come in, coach safeties, uh, be the co-defensive coordinator, so he'll deal with the game planning and, and maybe play calling, but we'll see. Um, you know, good hire for them. They needed somebody big after losing Ted Roof, and I think as far as coaches go, one, you have a good game planning coach even though his last two years in the Big 12 left a lot to be desired. Um, but for the most part, you saw West Virginia fans sad to see him go, which tells you I think they really liked him. Um, and, and the second part of that equation is you got a heck of a recruiter. Um, Tony Gibson, known as one of the best recruiters on the West Virginia staff. So um, big get for NC State to hopefully keep some of that momentum. But now the talking point becomes NC State at this point um, has a lot of new faces on that staff, uh, even on the offensive side, some old faces and new roles. So Seeing how that's going to play out is going to be fun, um, and we'll see if they're able to make an impact as far as the numbers go because it's going to be a, a turnover year for NC State. New quarterback, um, going to have a lot of positions on the defensive side that need to be filled, and uh, we'll see how it ends up working out for him. But good hire, I thought, all in all. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the recruiting. He's uh, He's been named as one of the hottest recruiters in the country <clears throat> um, by a few different polls and uh, known specifically for his uh, – ability to recruit in western pennsylvania in the pittsburgh right. region so that'll be uh something to watch and just a side note he can also recruit offensive guys he was responsible for bringing denard robinson to michigan when he was the hey. assistant head coach and safeties coach there so you're not going to get those nuggets on any other podcast i just want to say that no yeah that's what we do here chowder and grits we are <laughs> full of nuggets mcnuggets raising canes hey. nuggets you know whatever we're a fast food podcast at this point i think yeah. is, is what you're getting at yeah exactly yeah. um so yeah i think good hire for nc state um i, I feel like coaching news is going to settle down quite a bit unless we start to see you know some weird things occur just you know people misbehaving on the recruiting trail having affairs things like that uh, not that any school had uh, had those issues this past year, but I think the big news has been around the transfer portal, not just in the ACC, but in college football in general. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was, uh, I'd say both of us were too young when NFL free agency started becoming like a big deal because it was, I believe, the late 80s where free agency really started taking off in the uh in the nfl and really kind of just professional sports in general you know back in the day guys were drafted by a team that's where they played for the rest of their careers not so much the case anymore obviously and i think we're starting to see that shift across college football so you know one thing that's really impacted one of uh the schools in the acc is obviously the uh, justin fields to ohio state transfer which we've talked about quite a bit Still hasn't been decided if uh, he's going to play or not, but either way, uh, Ohio State had a very high-profile quarterback recruit in Tate Martell, and he has chosen Miami uh, to go be quarterback, which, you know, to be honest, perfect fit uh, just with his kind of attitude. He's going to be a guy (laughs) who is absolutely despised by every single school in the ACC that's not Miami. 
Um, and he's going to love it. He's going to eat it up. That's what he wants. That's like his kind of, that's kind of his MO. Um, right. Not to say that the job is uh, definitely his. And I think the big thing that happens with Tate Martell is, you know, is he going to be able to play right away? And right. recent history would say no. Uh, he, he has lawyered up. He is citing the uh, coaching change at Ohio State as the reason that he should be able to play immediately, um, which really hasn't affected the outcome um, in the past. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them do it just because there has been so much movement. But at the end of the end of the day, the NCAA is just such a stubborn organization um, where I'd expect him to sit out a year. So to me, uh, with Jaron Williams sitting right there on the Miami, um, in the Miami quarterback room, I think he's the kind of the guy to watch. As you know, is he going to emerge this season, uh, take the reins from Nikosi Perry, which shouldn't be difficult to do if he knows how to play quarterback, even just a little good. Um, and then, you know, in 2020, what does that mean for Martell and Williams? So, I think we could be in a similar situation after next season with Miami quarterbacks. You know, is one of these guys going to transfer if Williams, you know, looks like he can be the guy. But, uh, you know, for now, Tate Martell, good good pickup for, for the Canes. I don't know where uh, where you stand on everything. Yeah, I, I think it's a great pickup. And Tate Martell is going to be like a flashback to those Miami players of the early 2000s that had so much swagger and you hated them for it. Um I think that that's kind of what Miami wants to see back. I, you know, I, they would love to have that swagger back at that program that, honestly, turnover chain aside, has been missing on, as far as play in the field. Um, we started to see a, a little bit of that coming back. Like I said, mentioned the turnover chain was kind of a throwback to that era of Miami football. And maybe Manny is able to bring it back. I think he's got a strong coaching staff. So Tate's coming into a situation that could end up being really good for him in the long run. Um, and a lot of what people despise about him, I think, will be played up at Miami, as you mentioned. So, you know, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride with Tate. And like you said with the NCAA, I, I don't see that flying. Um, it, it would be very hypocritical of the NCAA to allow him to play based on the stance they've taken with a lot of other athletes recently. So I think for that reason alone, lawyer up, don't lawyer up. I don't think he's going to be playing next year. Yeah, another ACC school where it was reported that uh, the quarterback was entering the transfer portal, James Blackman at Florida State. That report yeah, turned surprise. out to it return. It turned out to not be true, from ah. what I've read. Um, okay. But either way, I wouldn't be shocked to see Blackman or uh, DeAndre Francois transfer um, before the season even starts. So right. it's, it sounds like both of these guys are going to be competing and my instinct is that whoever loses this battle will transfer and sit out the 2019 season and and try to go play somewhere else but yeah to that me, kind of I mean, um yeah that, that that led to my surprise was the fact that i thought blackman was going to be the one staying and francois would go because when you look at the two on the field blackman looks like a quarterback like an acc level starting quarterback and deandre just has looked lost honestly yeah, I, th- I feel like the Florida State team responds much better to Blackman when he's in the game. And, sure. You know, he's a younger guy. He was kind of thrown into the fire his true freshman year after Francois tore his ACL against Alabama in the first week of the season. 
And uh, right. you played well. They just haven't won the last two years. So uh, you always have uh, have that kind of going against whoever is, is the quarterback of the team. But right. that'll be a, a definite quarterback battle to watch. I have a feeling Blackman is going to win the job. But, you know, I, I really can't read Willie Taggart at this point. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, some yeah. other big news from a transfer standpoint, uh, Jalen Hurts is headed to Norman to take over the uh, quarterback job at Oklahoma. And, you know, I don't know about you, Tim. I'm just happy to report that Oklahoma has a quarterback that, you know, is is a, of a appropriate height. Right. Yeah, that's good for them. Yeah, they've been diminutive in the past years, although very effective. Maybe uh, small quarterbacks are their niche. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, you know, Hertz is a guy, he's got two losses in his entire career, you know. Uh, yeah. He's won a national championship. He's got a completion percentage over 60%. He takes care of the football. He can move out of the pocket. He's rushed for almost 1,000 yards and twice in a season. Um, you don't see guys like this hit the open market uh, from a – really the last guy that <laughs> right. you saw like this was Russell Wilson. Right. transfer from right. NC State to uh, Wisconsin um, as the graduate transfer rule. And, you know, I think that really propelled Russell to be noticed a little bit more on a national scale just because at the mm-hmm. time NC State was – I mean, they weren't terrible, but they weren't great. Yeah. I mean, they were they were NC State, kind yeah. of hanging around where NC State is now, just trending yeah. in a different direction. I think he played in the Rose Bowl at Wisconsin, and I think the highest bowl he had in – at NC State was the champ sports ball. So just from an exposure standpoint, you it's completely different. Um, so I think the Jalen Hurts experiment at Oklahoma should work. Uh, I felt like there was going to be a quarterback battle between him and Austin Kendall, but now he's transferring to go to West Virginia under the, grant, or the uh, graduate transfer rule. So he should be eligible to play immediately and start a new quarterback battle at West Virginia. So – a lot of moving pieces, um, you know, I, I think part of the reason, you know, I thought people thought that he might end up at Maryland uh, because of his former offensive coordinator going there, and then Miami was a possibility. But I think at the end of the day, he saw Oklahoma as his best chance to potentially go up against Alabama in the college football playoff and maybe maybe a little bit of revenge going on there. But mm-hmm. uh, definitely a shot to get to the college football playoff with Oklahoma yeah and if you're a you know somebody who's not vested in that move and and you watch from a a real macro level the thought of getting to see some games with Jalen Hurts uh, and Lincoln Riley together I think that's pretty exciting and and should bring a good brand of football and continue in the same brand that they've been operating under for the past two years uh, with guys that can be dynamic at the quarterback position I think um, something you mentioned on a prior podcast is that you felt that Jalen was a bit of a game manager at times, and he is going to have to shed that. Um, And and a good place to do it, if you're going to show to the NFL, uh, to scouts, that you aren't just a game manager, I think go to Oklahoma. Uh, The focus will be on you to make that offense tick, um, and you should be able to do it on a national stage in the playoffs. So great choice by him. I think a much better choice than going to Maryland for sure. Yeah, I think the one thing with Hurts is, you know, he's always been surrounded by just gobs of talent, obviously, being at Alabama. Um, His completion percentage had typically hovered around 60, 62%, and then this year it was up over 70, but he primarily played 
you know, in garbage time a little bit. Right. Um, But it's not like he's going to see a significant drop off in talent going to Oklahoma. What he will see is a significant drop off in the defenses that he's going up against on a week to week basis. So I expect his numbers to improve from where they were at Alabama. But is he going to be a guy that I think is going in the first two rounds of the NFL draft? No. But, you know, he's he's a guy that will probably be drafted and land somewhere. I just I don't see him as an NFL quarterback. That's just my opinion. Yeah, from what I saw at Alabama, I'm not, I'm, I'm big on his ability and big on him as a college quarterback. I think his ability to run makes him such a weapon on that level. Um, and when you can run and throw as well as he can throw, that lends so well to college football. Um, when you're talking about transitioning from college football to the NFL, it gets hard on those guys who don't have elite arms. And, and I don't see Jalen as a guy with an elite arm. So I, I'm kind of like you, but I'm interested to see how that experiment works and, um, you know, maybe next year we'll be eating our words on Jalen and he'll be projected to go in the top five of the draft. Certainly possible. Um, and Oklahoma, again, gets a quarterback that's going to make that quarterback room uh, one of the best in college football under, uh, you know, under Lincoln Riley, who shows that he knows how to use good quarterbacks and uh, leverage them to get into uh, the playoffs. So um, it's going to set up to be a fun year. And it's a shame we have to wait, you know, seven months to see it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing. He's got two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks in back-to-back years. So yeah. um, I think uh, I think Hurts will be in good hands. Another sure. quarterback that is leaving is Brandon Wimbush going to UCF. And, okay. You know, I'm, I'm not a Brandon Wimbush fan just as far as his play is concerned. I just don't think he's a very good quarterback. Um you know, McKenzie Milton is still there. No guarantee he's going to be ready at the start of the season or maybe even be able to play next year. Who knows? But obviously, if he is, he's the guy. So um, I don't know if, you know, there's a position change in Wimbush's future, but uh, he is very athletic. I just have not been impressed with his ability to play quarterback. And even though he won the starting job for Notre Dame to start this year, you know, we saw how poor they were offensively until Ian Book came in and kind of took over the reign. So, yeah, yeah, I'm hopeful for him. I'd like, you know, like to see what he's able to do, and I hope he's certainly successful where he wants to be successful in that position. Um, but at this point, maybe a switch to another position would be good for him. Um, maybe a Braxton Miller, just a little sooner than Braxton Miller, switch to the to wide receiver. Maybe in his, you know, in the cards for him. Although UCF may or may not have, uh, you know, the availability, at least the opportunity for him to play quarterback, which I think is why he chose going there. Um, so we'll see. We'll keep an eye on that one. And, um, yeah, good luck to him. Yeah, so I don't know where you stand on uh, transfer rules, but, you know, I was uh, kind of reviewing a little bit just to see if there was any anything that I didn't understand. It's all pretty clear, you know. If you're a D1 football player, you know, you can transfer to a D2 or D3 school and play immediately. I think the big reason, or the big reason I found is, according to the NCAA, the reason that you cannot play immediately is because you need to be in a school's program academically for a year before you're allowed to receive scholarship uh, money from them, which I don't really know why, why that is and why that's important. Yeah, I do understand that you know, these players are essentially signing a contract 
when they go to school because they are agreeing that they're going to be a scholarship athlete. So there is that dynamic. Now, they're signing a contract for free education, room and board, meals, things like that. So it's not like they're not being paid. I'm not in the circle of people that think college athletes should be paid by the school. That being said, I do think these athletes should be able to make money from their namesake. I do think that if a company or a brand wants a college kid to represent that brand and they want to pay that person money, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, what's, why not? You know, it has nothing to do with the NCAA and again, I'm not in the the group of people that thinks the school should be be playing, paying players. You know, these are most of the time they're government funded schools. Most of the time the head coaches are the highest paid state employee, which is interesting uh, just from a government standpoint. But, you know, the schools are making money off these kids. There's no doubt about it. But companies are also making making money. money. Yeah. Yeah. Companies are also making money off of these schools, off these you know, big brand schools, especially. Um, I just think that if the NCAA, the NCAA clearly has an issue right now. Yeah. And they're not going to change because they're the NCAA. It's one of the most poorly run organizations in all of sports. And I just think you, you see all these things happening with transfers. You see all these kids leaving early. This year there was 135 players foregoing eligibility to go into the NFL draft. And 103 Jeez. of those guys were underclassmen, and 32 basically just gave up their last year of eligibility, so they would essentially just be like a graduate transfer type player. But, <clears throat> you know, that's uh, that to me signals kind of an issue because I'd say about uh, of those 135 players, maybe 5% will make it. And, you know, I... I I don't know where you stand on paying players and the transfer rules, but I'm not for an open market. You know, I think if you agree to go to a school, you know, you should stick to that contract. However, if you have a coach that up and leaves and, you know, that's, you know, one of the primary reasons you decided to come to that school, I feel like you should be allowed to have one transfer throughout your years of eligibility without having to sit out a year. So, Zero question. I don't Zero know where question. you stand on that, but that to me, we have all these coaches. You know, they're getting paid. You know, they're they're leaving. Schools are paying them ten million dollar buyouts. They're firing them. You know, if if Urban Meyer recruited me to that school and he leaves before my freshman year is even over, and you know whoever's coming in, and it doesn't have to be Ryan Day. Just maybe there's a guy coming in that. It's a completely different system, and I don't fit. Now I have to transfer and sit out another year. You know that's not that's not right. So no, it's not. There, something's got to change from across the college football landscape. I don't know if it ever will, but I'll let you say your piece. Yeah, I'd, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as you. I don't think an open market would ever work in this scenario. Otherwise, you'd see. I mean, they're college kids. You'd see so much instability. And so much change, fielding teams would almost become impossible. Um, when they sign their letters of intent, that is a commitment, and it's a commitment that needs to be honored. Um, as far as 
the coaching changes and the ability for the coaches to sign a contract and then up and leave totally 100% with you, Those every college football player on that team should be given an opportunity to transfer and play immediately. Um, it, it's not fair that you would hold the coaches to one standard and the players to another. If the coaches are allowed to jump ship um, when they want to, then the players need to be able to jump ship when that coaches leaves. I mean, that that's who they committed to. Um, and that's who they are playing for. In a lot of cases, uh, kids love the school that they're at. However, there are many players on those teams that are, you know, there because the coach is there, um, particularly out-of-state kids. Uh, you know, they deserve the right to, to make that jump. As far as making money off their name, absolutely. That name's their name. It's not the NCAA's name. Um, it's not the school's name. If they are able to profit off of their name while they're in college, then so be it. There need to be rule changes that focus on what's right for these kids. And what's right is figuring out how to keep some of these kids in school and get their degrees. Um, if they're making these choices to jump early to the draft, even when their prospects aren't very good, um, you know, for the hope of a payday, then we need to figure out how to potentially get these kids more money. And if, if profiting off their name ends up lining their pockets... Uh, to the point that keeps them in school longer and gets a degree in their hands, I think it's nothing but a good thing. Um, and hopefully there's some kind of compromise and uh, ability to make changes in the NCAA. We've just seen to this point that the NCAA loves shooting its own foot with its own pistol, and there's no way in hell they're going to change anything to truly benefit these kids outside of, of, of superficial changes. Um, when you think about the band on the Titanic, as the Titanic slowly sank, they continued to play and went down with the ship. Uh, the NCAA is going down with the ship, period. And, uh, you know, it's. I think it is slowly sinking. And unless they get some leadership that truly, truly radicalizes the way that they do business, then they will sink. And there's nothing that really can be done right now. But I, I agree and echo every point that you just said. I think, um, you know, the transfers are going to continue to get more commonplace, as they should. Um, but really, we need to make sure we keep some of these kids in school that are on the fence and need to figure out how to incentivize it because what's better for them long-term is to get their degrees for the vast majority of those kids jumping early. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business, okay? And that's what everybody says about professional sports, but that's just that's the way it is now, especially with high-profile college sports. Now, that's not the case with lacrosse. That's not the case with swimming. That's not the case with field hockey or whatever else, you know, whatever other sports that are going on there that are just not high profile, you know, football and basketball are revenue generators for the schools. Now you have these high profile kids coming in, they're competing, they're losing battles. Let's look at Georgia, for example. Okay. Georgia had Jacob Beeson, who was, I'd say a top five quarterback prospect. And Jake Fromm comes in the year, a year later and, Eason gets hurt, and then Fromm starts playing as a true freshman. Eason's ready to come back. They don't want to take Fromm out because he's playing at such a high level. Fromm wins the job. He gets Alabama to the national championship. They end up losing. What's Eason do? He transfers because he doesn't feel like he's going to have a chance to play there. In that situation, every time, he should have to sit out a year. We're not talking about a coaching change. We're not talking about... You know, anything going on with the program from a scandal standpoint, he just lost the job. He felt like it would be better for him to go play somewhere else where he had a better chance of playing, okay? Justin Fields, this is a weird one. He can't beat Fromm out for the job. 
So he decides that he's going to transfer. He's citing something that went on, um, you know, at some kind of basketball game, football game. I can't remember what it was. But he's citing that for a hardship waiver and trying to find a loophole to play immediately at Ohio State. So what does that do? He's going to Ohio State, new coaching regime. Urban Meyer just left. There's a guy there named Tate Martell. Now, he was next in line to play, you would have to think. Now, he transfers out because, hey, Urban Meyer's gone. They've got this new kid coming in. He was a high, highly recruited guy. I don't want to compete with this guy because, hey, if I don't win and I have to sit out a year and then I have to transfer the year after in order to play, I've just lost basically two years of eligibility. So, essentially, Tate Martell is going to be punished for wanting to leave school to where he can play football right away because his head coach left. you got another high-profile guy coming in that looks like he's going to be into the starting role because of some kind of loophole, and it's just this never-ending weird cycle going on in college football right now. The presidents don't make sense. There seems to be favoritism going on as far as the leadership of the NCAA. Just look at the North Carolina (laughs) cheating scandal. Nothing happened. It was an over two-year investigation. Nothing happened. And I mean, this was widespread across the entire university, okay? One of your former basketball players, Rashad McCants, on a national championship winning team in 2005, whatever year it was, Roy Williams, who's still there, was the head coach, says, yeah, uh, yeah, we were cheating on tests and blah, 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 blah. They look into it for two years. Everybody kind of forgets about it. Basically, nothing's handed down. Then you got a guy sure. at Virginia Tech who scored too high on the ACT this year, is in college taking classes, and the NCAA says he can't play, he's ineligible because we don't think he scored high enough on the test. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) He's in college taking classes, and you decide at the last minute he's not eligible to play because you you thought he scored too high on his test score? In high school? (laughs) It's just the NCAA is a train wreck. Of an organization. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next 10 years to see basically these universities just go off and form their own privatized league. And I don't even know if that's allowed or what, like, the legalities would be. But, yeah, I mean, the NCAA is just – they're basically causing the demise of college football and college sports in general right now. And it hurts. And it hurts so bad. They, if they could figure out how to fix this and just get us our college football video game back, I would forgive them immediately. Yeah. FYI. Yeah. Get us get us NCAA, EA Sports, football, 2019, and we'll stop talking about this. We'll right. And then you, two, two birds, one stone, maybe figure out how to get those kids a little money uh, from profiting off their name and their likeness. I don't know. Figure it out. So... Like I said, I don't expect any changes from the NCAA until the, the, the issue with football is these guys don't have anywhere else to go and no. play because no. college, is, college is it. Um, it's not an international sport. You know, basketball, if, hey, the NCAA tells me I can't play basketball, well, guess what? I can go to Australia and make three hundred and fifty grand, and then right. enter the NBA draft the next season. So yeah. it's a little bit different for basketball, but at the end of the day, I'd like to see the NCAA kind of uh, undergo a massive reform yeah. and uh, maybe come into the 21st century a little bit and you know start changing some of the rules and 
adapting to the game, which right now they're not adapting. So, Yeah, and adapting is what they need to do. And you look at the way the system is now, college football is the youth academy for the NFL. I mean, if you look in Europe and the soccer programs all have youth teams um, with kids as, as young as 10 in there while they're in school learning how to play soccer at a high level, competing on high-level games. If the NFL was to institute some time, some type of youth academy that allowed some of these larger name players to go ahead and start earning a paycheck in the NFL while playing some reserve games, um, that could work. And that's a situation which maybe you could see a, a scenario where NFL teams were drafting these kids right out of high school and putting them in youth academies. Kids that aren't interested in going to school, going to college, can go make that jump. Uh, earn a, a league minimum salary or slightly lower, playing in the reserves, learning how to play football, and, and making that jump to the senior side um, to the NFL team whenever they're able physically, and have the college teams then populated with a lower standard of recruit. Um, you could see something like that happening, but that's really the only way this is going to to work or the only way it's going to be tenable under the current rules. And you know that scenario happening is not likely at all. I mean, it's 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 really almost impossible. So it'll be interesting what happens, but they have to adapt, and, and times have completely changed, and they're at they're getting close to a flashpoint, and it'll be interesting to see what decisions they make uh, to stay relevant. Otherwise, they're going to catch so much flack and so much hatred from the media and the players that are playing underneath the organization that they won't be able to stay. Uh, you know, stay ahead of this thing and stay in control. Yeah, and I, I say this kind of half half joking, but maybe not. You know, there's two leagues coming coming to life now outside of the NFL. The American Alliance of Football, I think it is. I can't remember right. exactly how they phrase that league. That's kicking off this year in February. And they have eight teams. And then the XFL is coming back in 2020. And it's not the XFL like we remember, apparently, so we'll see what happens there. Now, it's going to be tough for these teams to make money, but I think what we will see is that, hey, they might start offering these kids out of high school ways to make money right away, and, you know, it's it's going to be a double-edged sword. It might be good for those leagues. It's probably not going to be best for those players, especially ones that need time to develop, but... Mm-hmm. You know, hey, it's it's a way to make uh, make some quick cash. So I just think that's something to watch um, as you know something that could come up in in the next one to three years as changing the dynamic of college football a little bit. So yeah, and imagine imagine a world where NFL teams have youth reserve teams that they're able to field, and those youth reserve teams play a season that ends right after the Super Bowl ends or begins right after the Super Bowl ends, and you have football. For another three months, and you have another set of playoffs, and you have you know your team with your reserve side that you can see guys that you're really excited to get called up eventually and see how they're doing. I mean, you could make money off of it, and uh, it's interesting. And I'm honestly surprised it hasn't happened. Maybe because it makes too much sense to me. Um, but you know, with college football changing the way it is, maybe you maybe you do see whether it's another league or a sub league of the NFL kind of kick off and have a little success with guys that just don't want to go to college. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there, but um, we could talk about this for, for days Ever. probably. Yeah. Um, one one other guy who declared for the NFL draft, you might have heard of him, uh, Kyler Murray. He is 
not necessarily going to be in the NFL next year, but he is essentially leveraging his his stance with uh, his ability to play football and against the Oakland Athletics. So um, the report was that he demanded $15 million from Oakland um, in order to choose baseball over football, which I don't have an issue with. Um, If they want him to play baseball, go for it. He will make more money in the short term choosing football first because of the guaranteed uh, money that's there. And let's be honest, it makes more sense from his standpoint to play football first, and he can always go back to baseball later, you know, obviously if he's healthy and didn't have some kind of, you know, bad injury that would prohibit him from doing so. That would be the way that I would go. Um, It sounds like to me he wants to play football. I mean – there, there isn't a better glamour position in sports than quarterback in the NFL. I mean, let's be honest. You know, there's only 32 jobs. There's probably only 12 to 13 really good quarterbacks, and then the rest are just kind of average to below average. So it's definitely uh, definitely an option. It sounds like he's going to get drafted in the first round. Uh, but really all the talk around Kyler Murray right now is about his height. And I just thought this was hilarious. The Oklahoma Sports Information Director came out and said that he's five foot nine and seven eighths inches and in, while wearing socks. <laughs> so the Kyler Murray height talk is really going to be absurd leading up to the combine. And then that'll probably put it to bed a little bit as to how tall he really is. But with the way that these guys get picked apart. Um, especially with things like the combine where, you know, they're measuring every inch of your body and, you know, the width of your hands and, you know, you're taking the Wonderlick test and, oh, you know, he's 5'9 and 7'H. We'd really like him to be 5'10 and 1'8. You know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. It's a game of it inches, is. but at the end of the day, he played quarterback at an extremely high level in the NFL or in college football. The NFL is a changing game. You know, back in the day when the NFL was – you know, all under center, drop back passes. You know, guys like Kyler Murray and guys like Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes, they had to adapt the way that they play football in the NFL. But right. last season, this season, 2018, only 37% of the snaps in the NFL were from under center. Now, if I would given you that stat 10 years ago, it probably would have been something like 85%. So the way that the game has changed just in the last two or three years, it's, it's setting up for guys like Kyler Murray, maybe smaller but incredibly athletic, to come in and have success. But we'll yeah. see. Yeah, it'll, uh, it'll be interesting. And Kyler, depending on what he does, I've got no problems with how he's handled himself thus far. Asking for more money makes complete sense. It's a business after all. Um, it, he can absolutely have success in the NFL in today's day and age. And, and the height thing just makes me laugh when you see guys like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, um, Baker Mayfield out there having success. It's it, it's really funny. Now, if he was a uh, shorter quarterback uh, to the point where we're talking, you know, 5'6", five, 5'5", five, five, obviously that would be an issue. But he's not. He's got a, a few more inches than that. And he's got some of the, you know, one of the best arms I've seen. I hope... Like I said in prior podcasts, I hope I get to see him play in the NFL for selfish reasons. Um, you know, I think long term baseball may be a better fit if you're interested in life after sports. Um, but that's not always what drives these guys, and and maybe his passion is in football. 
and you know maybe he's he's figuring that out and obviously things change but we'll see uh we'll, we'll see where it takes him and i'm excited to see him play no matter where he ends up honestly but f- football would be a cool thing and maybe if he has success we'll finally stop hearing so much about the height of these quarterbacks coming out because i mean look at paxton lynch he was six eight pretty much six seven he was supposed to be fantastic coming out he's been terrible Let's let's not look at height as this, you know, hugely important stat for quarterbacks anymore. It's not. It's just not. Yeah, so we will do a ACC NFL draft preview. Maybe we'll even do a little first round mock draft uh, just for grins and giggles. But that'll be leading up <laughs> to or a lot closer to the draft, which I think is in May this year. Um, yeah. If not May, it'll be the end of April. But a lot of things to watch there, but you know, right now we are in the heart of basketball season. Um, the ACC is starting to take shape a little bit. Uh, you've got a very top-heavy, um, top-heavy conference right now as far as the teams leading the conference. You've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six teams at four and one. Four of those teams aren't that surprising. You've got Duke, UVA, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. But then you got Louisville and Syracuse up there, and Syracuse had quite the week going on the road to Duke and stunning the Blue Devils. Now, yes. surprising loss, you know, for Duke, Cam Reddish didn't play. He had the flu. Trey Jones left the game injured five and a half minutes in. Um, that really kind of changed the dynamic for Duke in that game. You know, he sure. had four steals in that first five and a half minutes. Duke only had four steals the rest of the game after he left. So I think the way that, you know, they played defense changed a little bit. It was an extremely high-scoring game uh, for college standards. And for a Syracuse team that looked really weak on offense to come in and score, you know, 95 points or whatever it was in overtime against Duke, beat them by four, that was pretty impressive. And they withstood a 35-10 and 10 performance from, from Zion Williamson. Right, right. No, fantastic from them. That was uh, that was incredible. Syracuse, as you mentioned, with a crazy week. Uh, surprise, given the offseason they've had, that they've had the level of success that they have in uh, the ACC play to this point. Um, but, you know, that's that's just part of being an ACC team. Uh, it doesn't really matter what you do in the offseason. ACC play gives every team a, a bit of a you know, a, a little hype going in because it's a completely new season, and you can rewrite your postseason hopes. Uh, with your conference performance because every year or just about every week you're getting a a potential NCAA tournament team that you're matched up with. Um, So it's fantastic from that aspect from Syracuse. Not surprised given who their coach is and, and, you know, the program. It always has talent. Uh, Louisville also looking good. Chris Mack has those guys playing so, so well. Um, They're better than I expected them to be at this point. Um, You know, again, shouldn't be surprising given how everything is shook out to this point. They've played really well. Again, another team with an off-season, or an, an, I say off-season, uh, non-conference schedule where they didn't perform the greatest, uh, seeing success early on in the ACC. So I don't expect those two to drop off too much. I don't think we're going to see a you know a winning percentage like we have at 4-1 and one with either of those two. I think they'll start dropping some games soon. Um, I am impressed with Pittsburgh, even with a 2-3 and three conference record right now. I think they play so extremely hard. A lot harder than anyone was expecting. They're 12 and 6, 8th in the ACC. Nothing that really jumps off paper to you. 
but that team is going to continue to cause problems all year, and I think Capel has them playing so, so well. So future's bright for them. Um, you know, obviously the bottom of the conference kind of sh- shook out as we'd expected to with Wake Forest and Boston College kind of holding up the rear there. Bonzi Colson leaving Notre Dame has left them really, really average to below average. Um, but that, man, that top eight of the conference is going to be something to watch this year. Uh, you know, NC State kind of nipping at the heels. You got Florida State, who is one and three in the conference right now, but won't continue to play that poorly. They're a good team. Um, coupled with, you know, the the names that we always hear, Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, Louisville. Um, and Virginia just continues to impress me with how well they've been able to play offense. And, you know, Duke and Virginia are just top-notch this year. Um, I expect both to get one seeds in the, in the NCAA tournament, and, um, you know, watching them play each other was just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, Virginia, this is the first year watching them since Tony Bennett's been there. And, I mean, I know since, you know, the 2013-2014 season, they have absolutely dominated the ACC. They have the best record. I think they're like 78-17 and 17 or something. Um, and the next two closest teams are Duke and North Carolina, and they're about 12 games worse than that. And that being said, this is the first time I've watched UVA and been like, yeah, that, that team's going to the Final Four. Because oh, yeah. their offense is so much more of a compliment now to their defense than it has been in the past. Right. You you had a team last year, for example, where their offense really kind of was – it was their Achilles heel. And that's what happened against UMBC in the tournament. You know, they went ice cold. They couldn't slow down the other team defensively. And if they're having an off night defensively – they were very unable to make up for it on the offensive side of things. That's not the case mm-hmm. anymore. If you look at yeah. what happened against Duke uh, yesterday, they were only three for seventeen from three. You know, right. Duke wasn't really any better. They were two for fourteen, but they were able to really attack the paint. Uh, they kept pace with Duke from a uh, rebounding standpoint. Duke really, to me, even though they won the game, I'd have more concerns about Duke going forward than I do about Virginia that being said you know you had 57 points from RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson combined so Cam Reddish threw in another nine so you've got three guys there that had 66 of your 72 points and I know Trey Jones didn't play in this game but the depth thing is maybe a little bit of concern for me and Duke going into tournament play Right. Um, like I said, I think Zion is – he seems to be getting better as the season goes on. That dunk he had yesterday where he basically oh. cut through four players on the UVA defense and then gets slammed in the arm and still comes down with <laughs> with the dunk and then goes to the line. But, yeah, I mean, I think both of these teams have a really good shot at making the Final Four. Um, I think there are a couple of other teams in the ACC that I need to see more from. Uh, Virginia Tech is one of those teams. They haven't really proven anything to me yet, and no. we're gonna we're gonna see them fall in the rankings a little bit because um, they they had a really abysmal performance against Virginia earlier on in the week, losing by twenty two, um, and really Virginia was just trying to keep pace there in the second half, um, and they still ended up ended up up. 
Second half was more fun to watch. But that Virginia Tech in the in the first half of that game was just ice cold from three. Um, they rebounded nicely with the win over Wake Forest. But uh, the Virginia Tech-North Carolina matchup on day night is the biggest game of the year for the Hokies as far as oh yeah are we do we think Virginia Tech is a good basketball team or do we think they're a team that won a lot of games in a weak non-conference schedule has some talent but seems to struggle on the road and they're one and two yeah. away from Castle you know they have a, this this game Monday night against North Carolina is in Chapel Hill North Carolina is another team though where I don't know how good they are either and yeah, it's, yeah, that was going to be my follow-up right. comment to that was North Carolina looks very beatable this year. Um, I know I know where they're ranked, and I know all the talent that they have on that team, but this is not the typical North Carolina team that you've seen the past few years. Um, there's a lot of holes on that team, and until Nas Little starts playing the way he's capable of playing um, and they start jumping off the screen when you're watching them, I'm... North Carolina looks like an upper middle of the road ACC team to me. So this is a team that if the Hokies are where everyone seems to think they are, they should come out with a win or at least play extremely tough. We can't have any of those blowouts and say, oh, the Hokies are great, but a game that happened or or the game that happened against Virginia can't happen if you truly are at that level. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure you're in the same standpoint. Right now it's Duke and Virginia in the ACC. Mm -hmm. they're one and two it doesn't really matter the order even though duke won i still feel like virginia is the better team agreed that being said after those two teams we got to start seeing who's going to emerge so even though we've got some four and one teams in here you've got teams like nc state who's another team it's just like Mm -hmm. they lost to wake forest you can't do that you know because they're way better than Wake Forest is. They should not be losing games to Wake Forest, but no. they've got to find some consistency. But I think that's the great thing with the ACC. You know, even your Wake Forest, mm-hmm. even your Boston colleges, uh, Miami is kind of in that similar boat this year. They're hovering around 500, but they've still got athletes. They've still got guys that can compete at a high level. So they're going to win some games this year and catch some teams off guard. But yeah. Yeah, they will. It's going to be a fun year to keep watching. But like you said, one and two, Duke and Virginia, there's really nothing separating those teams at the moment. I'd give the nod to Virginia, but that's very subjective. Um, I just think they've looked better to me. And, uh, you know, Ty Jerome and um, and Guy and, and Hunter have all been just completely incredible, I think, on offense for them. Um, and I expect that to, to keep them in that one spot for me all year because nobody has a defense in the ACC like Virginia, and if Virginia can keep finding that offense, they're going to be a problem, and they'd be my favorite to win the conference. Duke, you know, the talent level on Duke is higher than any team in the conference right now from a, from a sheer talent standpoint. Going to keep them right there all year. Um, although Duke, interesting, this week's going to be tough for them. I think that visit to Pittsburgh against Jeff Capel's team, who just fight like dogs on Tuesday night, uh, I see that as an upset. So we may be seeing uh, Virginia start to separate a little bit from the pack this week. Um, teams like NC State, they need to get Markel Johnson back. They've been without their starting point guard because of injury for two games now. Um, it hurt them for Wake Forest, uh, but they were able to bounce back with an okay win at Notre Dame. And you know, I say okay because Notre Dame's not very good, 
but any road win in the ACC is, is, is something worth hanging your hat on. Um, and, yeah, we'll see how Syracuse and Louisville continue to play, and uh, Virginia Tech, North Carolina is going to tell you a lot about those two programs. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've got Duke at Pitt as one of the games to watch this week, and I don't think Duke is going to lose. I think Pitt is somebody now that's proven that we need to pay a little bit more attention to them. I do like Pitt more at home than I do Pitt on the road, yeah. but I, I expect Duke to take care of business there. There's two teams that I think we'll know a little bit more about at this time next week, and that's Virginia Tech with games at UNC, and then um, Syracuse is visiting Castle on Saturday, and then NC State. Right. So they go on the road to Louisville on Thursday night, and then they host Clemson on Saturday. So right. Louisville has proven that I, – I, I wouldn't be shocked to see them jump to the top 25 this week. Um, they're going to be a tough team to beat. NC State has been kind of up and down, so that to me is a really yep. big game. And then Clemson's just another one of those teams kind of in the lower tier of the ACC, but definitely good enough to win. NC State's got to start winning all those games. So, Yeah, yeah, they do. And NC State, a team picked preseason to, to finish, I believe, 8th or ninth. Uh, maybe even 10th so we're going to see is it a team that's going to outperform expectations or are they going to start to regress to the mean a little bit it's hard to say given their play sometimes they've looked fantastic um in the style of play that kevin keats runs hard nose defensive up tempo really throws teams off balance but if you can't bounce back on the offensive end and make the shots you need to make it's going to be difficult so we'll see if we see regression toward the mean there and Virginia Tech, as you said, two huge games. Uh, Virginia Tech goes 2-0 and this week. We're talking about Virginia Tech as a top-10 team. Virginia Tech goes 0-2, and, and we start saying maybe we were completely wrong on this team from the jump. So, uh, yeah, it, it's put-up-or-shut-up time for the Hokies uh, here early, and, and they, they've got to go at least 1-1. One and one. Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're going to know about Virginia Tech sooner rather than later. They've got at UNC, Syracuse, at Miami, at NC State, and then Louisville as their oh, next yeah. few games. So, you know, if you're Virginia Tech, you've got to beat Syracuse, you've got to beat Miami, you've got to beat Louisville. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this point, I would expect you to beat a team like NC State. Um, but sure. They've, sure. they've proven to be streaky the last couple of weeks, and – uh you know, we'll see. They need to play a little bit more uh, consistent on the road, uh, but that's the beauty about the uh, about ACC basketball. You know, this these things seem to work themselves out. I do think teams like Virginia Tech and NC State will um, find their way into the NCAA tournament. It's just a matter of of where sure. exactly uh, those teams fall. Right. So. It's a seeding question at this point. Uh, That is our show for this week. Um, We are going to start coming to you once a week um, for the foreseeable future as we head into the offseason. Obviously, college football news will be slowing down quite a bit. That being said, we are going to have some specials uh, sprinkled in there throughout throughout every month. So um, we'll have a recruiting preview show, uh, recruiting recap. We'll talk a little uh, ACC tournament action, NCAA tournament preview. Uh, so we'll have those as one-offs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff to talk about here coming up in the next next couple of months. And, uh, 
hey, like always, visit us at chowderandgrits.com. We're on Twitter at Chowder and Grits, Facebook at Chowder and Grits, and then you can listen to our podcast in a variety of places. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Tim, as always, uh, great chat and sports with you. Uh, any, yeah. any any final words? Yeah, no, no, no real final words. Just uh, enjoy ACC basketball season. Uh, really heating up here. Uh, thank you, everyone out there, for tuning into the FastCast, your number one source for all news and notes regarding fast food in the United States of America. We look forward to chatting again with you next week. And as usual, we'll sign off with a go ACC.